Amen. Great worship tonight. Thank you. Genesis 19, but also I want you to turn to Genesis 13. We're going to be in Genesis 19 primarily, but we're going to start in Genesis 13. And yes, tonight, Genesis 19 is about the judgment of God upon Sodom and Gomorrah. And this is now the third great judgment of God in the book of Genesis that we've already studied. We saw God bring judgment in the garden after sin entered in. How God brought judgment upon the world in Noah's day. And now we come to another incident of God's judgment. God's judgment is real. God will one day bring judgment to the world again. But let's not forget that before God brings judgment... He offers to all of humanity throughout history the opportunity to come to him in a personal relationship and avoid that judgment. Let's remember that all the human beings that God ever judges and brings judgment to, he also created. And he loves each and every one of those people more than we could ever imagine. No one goes out into eternity unloved by God. We can't even imagine what it does to the heart of God. In fact, God even reveals a little bit of his heart when he says through his word that he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's God's heart. And so tonight as we look at this chapter of judgment, we also want to remind ourselves that our God is also mighty to save. And that we can be so thankful that we have been saved. And yet at the same time, I hope that we can carry and even maybe grow a burden for those that are still lost. To pray for them, to seize opportunities to talk to the Lord about those who don't know Christ as their savior because one day judgment just like it did to Sodom and Gomorrah is coming upon this world as well before we get in though to Genesis 19 first of all looking at the case for God's judgment being set forth I want to begin in chapter 13 for this reason two reasons one we are reminded in chapter 13 of Genesis in verse 13 how wicked the people were of Sodom. The word of God says, now the people of Sodom were extremely wicked rebels against the Lord. Throughout the book of Genesis, God is setting forth his case of judgment against the place of Sodom and Gomorrah. And here he reminds us how extremely wicked they were. We'll come back to that a little bit later. Because that even gives us insight into why God eventually brings judgment. But I also wanted to start in chapter 13. And I want us to see tonight this gradual progression of Lot. 
And it is a great reminder to us because I believe that Lot, according to the word of God, was a righteous man, meaning he was declared righteous by God through his faith. Maybe his lifestyle at this point didn't show that he was a righteous man, but again, we are not righteous or made righteous by our works. We are made righteous by our faith. And somewhere along the line, Lot expressed his faith in God, Jehovah. And God declared him righteous. Now, I believe that he was the only one of his family who was righteous, because the Bible doesn't say that his wife was righteous, that his two girls were righteous, or that anybody else was righteous, but it does say that Lot was righteous before God. And yet, even here, we see how Lot, over the years, accommodated his heart to the world rather than to God. Let me show you this. In chapter 13 of Genesis, verse 12, it tells us that Lot settled among the cities of the Jordan Plain and, notice, pitched his tents next to Sodom. So he didn't start out there. He was actually outside of Sodom, living in what you and I today would call a bedroom community, right? Then if you go over to chapter 14 and look at the end of verse 12, Lot's moved. Now he's living in Sodom. He's no longer just pitched his tents next to Sodom. Now he's living in Sodom. And now come with me to the chapter we're going to be looking at tonight, chapter 19. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening while Lot was where? Sitting in the city's gateway. What's that mean? The city's gateway was the place where the leaders of the city came to do business. It meant that Lot went from being one who had pitched his tents next to Sodom to living in Sodom to now being a leader and a prominent individual in Sodom. You and I can take note of this cautionary tale, if you will, of Lot. Lot had accommodated his heart to the surroundings in which he dwelt. And you and I, as righteous people before God, by our faith, have to be careful throughout our lives that we're not, like Lot, accommodating our heart to the surroundings that we dwell in. We are to be in the world, but not of the world. We are not to be captivated by the things of the world. The Apostle John says in his first letter, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, and the lust of the... They are all passing away. But the one who does the will of God will abide forever. And so we see here how Lot didn't start out right smack dab in the center of Sodom, immersed there. It was over time. And that comes back then to that principle of you and I are either growing towards the Lord or away from the Lord every day, every week, every month, every year. We must take care 
of our spiritual growth, knowing that, again, we never get to a place where we just stagnate. We're, we're either moving positively forward or we're moving negatively backward. And it can be so gradual that it's almost imperceptible to us how far of a distance we've gotten away from God. And that was certainly true of Lot. Now, we began this chapter by being reminded that the angels here were sent from the Lord at the end of chapter 18 after Abraham had interceded for this city. How he pleaded with God that if there would just be a few righteous, would he spare? And we talked about the principle of representation and substitution. And we're going to see later on in this chapter that God heard Abraham's prayer and responded to it. He did not spare the city because there weren't ten righteous people. But he did deliver Lot and his family. What else can we see here in the first, say, 14 verses of Genesis 19? Well, again, what God is doing here is he's showing us how wicked the city of Sodom was. Notice it says, two angels came to Sodom in the evening while Lot was sitting in the city's gateway. And when Lot saw them, he got up to meet them and bowed down with his face toward the ground. He did the same thing that Abraham did when he met the Lord and these two angels in Genesis 18. He basically is expressing being in the presence of one who is superior. In some way, these angels were, it was evident that they were superior beings, if you will. And then Lot, shows hospitality to them just as Abraham did. Hospitality was very key in that day and age, and yet it is still something that God values today. God talks to us as New Testament Christians about being hospitable towards others, about sharing our resources and opening up our hearts and homes to others in need. So Lot says, here, my lords, Verse 2, please turn aside to your servant's house, stay the night, and wash your feet. Then you can be on your way early in the morning. But they said, no, we'll spend the night in the town square, which is basically the city's gateway, where Lot had been when they met him. Now notice, Lot, because he's been in this city, and he now is a prominent person in this city. He knows what's going on in here. He knows. In fact, Peter tells us in 2 Peter that this man Lot literally tortured his soul every day by living here. That his soul was tormented. He was a tormented man by immersing himself in such a wicked place. It reminds us that how when we align ourselves with the Lord, if we allow ourselves to be drawn into wickedness and we immerse ourselves there, 
how we can be tortured and tormented in our soul or spirit. That was Lot. He knew what was going on there, and yet he did not have the spiritual strength And he wasn't in a spiritually healthy position to really remove himself from it. And as we're going to see in this story, and if you know the story, his whole family was corrupted in their hearts and minds by living in such a place for so many years. It warped their minds. It warped their hearts. And that's what happened which again is why we have to be careful that even though we live in the world, that we are making sure that the world is not primarily what is influencing us or the things of the world, but that it is the Lord. It is His voice. It is His Word. It is the worship of Him. It is spiritual things. It's our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. It it is all these things that are primarily what is influencing us rather than the world. That's why in verse 3, he urges them persistently. No, you you don't want to spend the night there. So they turned aside with him and entered his house. He prepared a feast for them, pretty similar to Abraham, right? Including bread baked without yeast, and they ate. Before they could lie down to sleep, notice, all the men, both young and old from every part of the city of Sodom, surrounded the house. Why does God give us that detail? To show us his case of judgment against this place. The pervasiveness of sin and wickedness. All the men, young and old, they all were involved. You see, God is showing this place is bad. There's no one righteous. And even the one who is righteous has no influence in this place. And in fact, he's tormented and tortured by even living here. They shouted to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? They've been watching, right? Bring them out to us so we can have sex with them. Lot went outside to them, shutting the door behind them. And he says to them, and notice what he says. My brothers, which implies a close relationship. By living in Sodom all these years, by being a prominent member of society in Sodom, he knows these people. And he addresses them as his brothers, a close, personal relationship. Don't act so wickedly. Now, this is a word that, again, we saw back in chapter 13, verse 13, that I want to talk about for a moment, because it also sets forth the case of why God is judging. This is a word that speaks about evil that is done to others that brings about tremendous pain and hurt. You see, one of the reasons why God will eventually intervene and step in and judge sin is because God, more than anybody, sees how sin hurts other people. 
it is not only self-destructive to the person that's sinning, it is also destructive to all those around. As we said Sunday, one affects the whole. So here God is seeing how all these people in this city are literally destroying one another and hurting one another. And eventually God, in his love and mercy, says, Enough. I can't watch my creations continually hurting and inflicting pain on each other like they are. I have got to step in and do something about it. In fact, notice in chapter 19, verse 13, that the angels say what God said to Abraham back in chapter 18, that the outcry against this place is so great before the Lord that he has sent us, his angels, to destroy it. Well, where's the outcry coming from? It's coming from the people who actually live in Sodom. Now think about that for a moment. These people supposedly are doing what they want to do, living their lives the way they want to, and yet there's such an outcry of the pain and the, the, the suffering and all the destructiveness that this kind of lifestyle and a lifestyle apart from God is causing in this place that God is like, I can't listen to all these people crying out to me and not do anything about it. Because they're literally destroying each other. Now here's back to verse 8. Here's where we begin to see even a righteous man being warped in his heart and mind because of where he's lived and the influence that this place has caught and how he has now accommodated his heart to the surroundings in which he dwelt. Because he says in verse 8, Look, I have two daughters who've never had sexual relations with a man. Let me bring them out to you and you can do to them whatever you please. Only don't do anything to these men for they've come under the protection of my roof. Now, I admire Lot for wanting to protect his guests. That was part of being hospitable, if you will. They were now your responsibility, but then to offer his daughters to basically be raped? You're thinking, right? Like, this is craziness. You're protecting the angels by offering your own daughters? Something's wrong here. Yeah, exactly. It's what sin does. Sin warps our brains. Living in a sinful place warps our brains and our hearts. It literally rewires it. Which is why God says to his people, renew your minds in me and in my word every day. Because your minds need that renewing because you're living in a world that tries to rewire your thinking and your brains and you need me to rewire and renew your thinking so that we don't come up with crazy ideas like Lot had. 
And notice their response, verse 9. Get out of our way. That's the way of the world. They do not understand or appreciate any kind of halt to what they want. They cried, this man came to live here as a foreigner, speaking of Lot, and now he dares to judge us. He dares to call our behavior into question. How dare you? And that's a lot of times what happens. Because for years, he's accommodated himself and compromised. He has no power in his witness anymore. He has no moral authority. He has no influence or impact. That all went a long time ago. We'll do more harm to you than to them. They kept pressing in on Lot, pecking away, wearing him down until they were close enough to break down the door. So the men inside, the angels literally reached out, pulled Lot back into the house as they shut the door. They strike the men with blindness from the youngest to the oldest, and the men outside literally exhausted themselves trying to find the door. That's how desperate and determined they were to get into that house and have their way with those two men. Then the two visitors said to Lot, who else do you have here? Do you have any other family here? Do you have any sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or other relatives in the city? You see, angels are not all-knowing. They're not omniscient like God. So they had to ask the question. They were probably given the order that you go in, and just like with Rahab and her family in Jericho, you go in and save Lot and any of his family and then get out of there. Get them out of this place. Because we are about to destroy it. Verse 14, then Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law, actually his future sons-in-law. They haven't married his daughters yet, but obviously they're probably engaged to it's in some way in that culture. So it's if they would be eventually his sons-in-law. And he says to them, quick, get out of this place because the Lord is about to destroy the city. And his sons-in-law thought that he was ridiculing them, mocking them. And again, no influence, no impact, no authority in their lives. They basically laugh at him. Now we come to verse 15. God's rescue of Lot and his family. And here we are reminded that the Lord knows how to rescue. He knows how to save. He knows how to deliver. And here's what I want us to notice tonight. Was Lot even in Sodom saying, God, save me, rescue me, deliver me from this place? No. Now, obviously, God is always available to anyone who calls out to him and says, save me. Think of Jonah at the bottom of the ocean in the belly of the fish. Get me out of here, God. And so God directed the fish to spit him out. God will respond to the cry of someone who once saved, rescued, delivered. But here, God also is showing 
I'll save you even though you haven't asked me to because you're mine. God is the one who initiates the deliverance here. Not Lot. If it would have been up to Lot and his family, they would have stayed there and been destroyed. It is God in his mercy and loyal love and compassion that reaches down and snatches Lot out of that place and unto himself. What a God. Think about it. God has done the same thing for each of us. We who were lost and without Christ. God loved us. Reached out into our lives. Expressed that love through the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and said to us, I love you. I have died for you. I will forgive you. I want to have a relationship with you. Just believe in me and trust in me as your Savior. And God saved us. Not by works of righteousness that we have done, but according to his grace and mercy. That's why he saved us. Whew. God didn't save Jeff Royce because Jeff Royce asked God to save me. God came looking for me and reaching out to me. We love him because he first loved us. That's our God. And so it says at dawn, verse 15, the angels hurried Lot along saying, come on, get going. Take your wife and your two daughters who are here or else you'll be destroyed. You'll be swept up, caught up when the city is judged. Notice the future sons-in-law aren't gone. Now it's just Lot, his wife, and his two daughters. And notice the Bible says in verse 16, Lot hesitated. This is, the, this is the response of even a righteous man whose heart is not aligned with God because even when God is giving him this opportunity to get out and to be saved, he's sort of like reluctant. He, he's sort of questioning. He's not sure. He's so double-minded. He's gotten so warped in his heart and mind that even when God is offering him this salvation, it, it's like he's having a hard time sensing the urgency that's necessary. And it, it shows us how degraded we can get spiritually when we accommodate ourselves to, to the surroundings of a, of a bad spiritual environment. It's why I said Sunday that what Achan did wasn't Achan's responsibility alone. It was this spiritual lethargy and complacency uh, that had settled into the spirits of the Israelites. It was this lackadaisical spiritual environment that had settled in. And it was out of that that the Israelites were prayerless and, and presumptuous and prideful and, and why Achan did what he did. And that's why it's so important that we take lessons from places like Joshua and like Genesis 19, where our spiritual environment is so essential and vital to our spiritual health and life. We get to choose what that spiritual environment is. We get to choose what our home is like, what, our, what church we're a part of and what our church is. We get to choose those environments. 
what my heart is going to be like and what kind of environment I'm going to put myself in because it is key to our spiritual development and growth and maturity. And Lot had immersed himself in a really bad spiritual environment and it's showing itself in his response of offering his daughters and being reluctant at even the salvation that God is offering him and of not having any kind of strong witness to the people around him anymore. And you and I can... We can take a lot from that. But notice it says, when Lot hesitated, the angels grabbed his hand and the hands of his wife and two daughters... And here's this phrase I want you to note tonight. Because the Lord had compassion on them. Mercy. Favor. Again, I'm reminded of that verse in Lamentations. The Lord's loyal kindness never ceases. His compassions never end. They are fresh every morning. Your faithfulness is abundant. Or another translation, great is your faithfulness. That's our God. Compassions never end. Think about that. He never runs out of mercy, compassion, or favor upon people. No wonder he's mighty to save, as we sung about. No wonder he can deliver and rescue. The Lord knows how. And he not only knows how, he desires to. He wants to be a savior. He wants to be a deliverer. He wants to be a rescuer. Even the book we're studying on Sunday, Joshua, the, the name Joshua means God saves. Salvation is of the Lord. We always need to keep that in mind. So they led them away and placed them outside the city. Verse 17, when they had brought them outside, they said, run for your lives. Don't look behind you or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the mountains or you'll be destroyed. And Lot said to them, no, please, Lord, your servant has found favor with you and you've shown me great kindness. Same word, it's up in verse uh, 16. The Lord had compassion on him. He recognizes the compassion, the mercy and favor that God is showing here for sparing his life. But he says, I'm not able. Literally, I'm too weak. I'm too, I can't do this. Again, showing where he's at. And this isn't just physical weakness. This is spiritual. This is emotional weakness. This is, he's not able. I won't be able to escape to the mountains because this disaster will overtake me and I'll die. Look, this town over here is close enough to escape to. It's just a little one. Let me go there. It's just a little place, isn't it? Then I'll survive. Very well, said the angels. I will grant this request too and will not overthrow the town you mentioned. And notice what they say, verse 22. Run there quickly for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Basically, the angel is saying, God won't let us bring judgment until you're saved. God knows how to deliver. This incident explains why the town was called Zoar. 
And now the actual visitation of God's judgment upon Sodom and Gomorrah comes. The Lord rained down sulfur and fire, verse 24, on Sodom and Gomorrah. It was sent from the sky by the Lord. So we know again, this is coming from the Lord. He overthrew these cities and all that region, including all the inhabitants of the cities, even the vegetation that grew from the ground. And as they're trying to escape, Lot's wife looked back longingly and was turned into a pillar of salt. And we know that this is significant because Jesus himself to his followers in the gospel said, remember Lot's wife. Why? Because even though God was offering this woman salvation, her heart was in Sodom. It wasn't in the Lord. The words looked back speak about gazing. It carries the idea of longing. Her heart was wrapped up in the things of the world, not the things of God. And God turned her into a pillar of salt. You and I, again, have to be careful, and she's a great example of being in the world, but not being captivated by the world or worldly things, always having our heart towards God and towards spiritual things. Notice Abraham got up early in the morning, went to the place where he had stood before the Lord to intercede, and he looked out toward Sodom and saw all the destruction. And then I want you to see this, verse 29. When God destroyed the cities of the region, God honored Abraham's request and removed or sent Lot away from the midst of the destruction when he destroyed the cities Lot had lived in. Notice that God not only delivered Lot because Lot was righteous before him, he was one of his people, but God also saved Lot because he honored and remembered the prayer of Abraham, who interceded for Lot in chapter 18. And when you begin to think about this concept, it, it boggled my mind. Here's a God who remembers every prayer, every request that you and I make. The Bible even says he not only keeps our prayers and remembers all of our prayers and honors them that way, he even keeps all of our tears and honors them. And yet the same God who has the capacity and ability to remember every detail of everything chooses not to remember our sin, chooses to forget our sin, chooses to cast our sin, past, present, and future, into the sea of forgetfulness. Not because God can ever literally forget, but because he chooses never to bring it up, never to talk about it, never to deal with it, because it's under the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. I think to myself, what a God who will remember every prayer, who will remember every tear, who will remember every detail of our life, including the hairs on our head and everything that we'll ever need and want and desire and all of that, but chooses never to remember all the wrongs that we've done. What an amazing God. A God who literally raptured Lot, snatched him away before judgment came. Again, a beautiful picture of what God's going to do one day when he comes and literally raptures his church out of the world before judgment falls. Just a couple other things. Hang in there with me. 
I'm not going to go through all of this because it's, ugh. but I do want to make a couple principles and then I'll close in prayer. Lot went up from Zoar with his two daughters, that was it, three of them, and settled in the mountains because, notice, he was afraid to live in Zoar. So he lived in a cave now with his two daughters. Here's a principle, please hear this today because this is happening right now in our world. Isolation and fear lead to spiritual ruin. Oh, my friends, please hear me tonight. Isolation and fear lead to spiritual ruin. What choice did Lot make? He didn't even want to live in Zoar. He, he just wanted to isolate himself with his two daughters up there in the mountains in a cave because he was afraid. And if you know the rest of the story, you know what happened. His two daughters, because of their minds and hearts being corrupted and warped all those years living in Sodom, Lot was paying a price even through his family. They got their father drunk, and they had sexual relationships with their father Lot. The one daughter's offspring became the Moabites, and the other daughter's offspring at the end of the chapter became the Ammonites. And these two groups of people became thorns in the side of Israel throughout their history up to present day. Shows you the consequences of bad choices, doesn't it? Those years of living in Sodom had corrupted Lot and his family. Because it all comes back to the importance and significance of our spiritual environment. What kind of environment are we living in? What kind of environment are we worshiping in? We get to make those choices. We get to help create those environments. And they're absolutely key to our spiritual health, growth, and development. I know I'm running over. But I want to just take you to one other place. If you'll go with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 10. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 10. I want to show you something sobering, but important as well. Twice in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus talks about Sodom and Sodom and Gomorrah. And he does so by telling us that you think what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah is bad? He said... Basically, he's laying out the principle that the greater the light, the greater the revelation from God, the greater the responsibility before God. And that's something you and I, because we can come down hard on places like Sodom and Gomorrah, like, oh, they're so wicked. Do you know that Jesus considered that places that did not welcome him or his followers to be more wicked than Sodom and Gomorrah? Because they had greater light and greater revelation. And you think about today, countries like the United States that has had the gospel and the freedom of, of worship for all these years and all the light and revelation that has come into our country in 200 and some odd years. And yet where we are now, greater responsibility because greater light. Notice Jesus says in Matthew 10, 14 and 15, he says, look, when I send you out, 
If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your message, shake the dust off your feet as you leave that house or that town. I tell you the truth, it will be more bearable for the region of Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. Then go over to chapter 11, verse 24. He's talking here about Capernaum, a place where he did many miracles and where he gave much revelation, and where his followers gave much light. And so he says, I tell you, verse 24, Matthew 11, it will be more bearable for the region of Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. We can say what we want to about Sodom and Gomorrah and how wicked it was, and it it was. But Jesus is clearly saying, there are so many places throughout history that are going to be more judged more sternly and more severely than Sodom and Gomorrah because they were given greater revelation and greater light and they did not respond. Something to think about as we think about Genesis chapter 19. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you tonight that you are a God whose tender mercies never cease whose compassions never fail, whose mercies are new every morning, and whose faithfulness is great. God, thank you for being a God who saves, who delivers, and who rescues. God, may we increase our burden for the lost. May we pray for them and may we seize opportunities to share your word and your hope and your truth with them in love. Because, God, you're the only hope. You're the only answer. And you love these people more than we could ever imagine. They're not only objects of your love, you created them. And you don't want to see them go out into eternity without you. And so, God, I pray that even as a church, we would be a great light, not only to each other, and be an environment, God, where we can grow and develop and mature like we need to but where we can draw others to you as well. God, would you go with us tonight, take us all home safely, or give us rest tonight at our homes, and hopefully, Lord, bring us back on Sunday to again be in your house or to connect through the technology, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. We'll see you next week.